I want to talk about one of my favorite people here in the capital region, a hustler and now a partner here with Godzilla Media. And that's my pal Connor Lind at Northeastern Insurance. Connor is a broker for the agency representing over 20 nationally ranked carriers, Progressive, Nationwide, MetLife, Travelers, and more. He's going to review your coverages to ensure you and your belongings are properly protected all while saving you some money. Connor makes the process easy and simple. And whether it's your first time with your own insurance or maybe you've been with the same company for years, he'll do the shopping for you. The initial policy set up at each renewal, he'll do a full policy review to continuously make sure you have the most competitive rate and check for available discounts. Northeastern Insurance, located at 1214 Troy Schenectady Road here in the Capital Region, right in Latham. So no need to wait on hold with 800 numbers or call centers or anything else. Work with my guy, Connor. He's going to take care of you. No more reasons to wait. Call my guy, Connor Lind, 518-346-2886, 518-346-2886, or email him, Connor, C-O-N-N-O-R-L, at nemail.com for a free, no-obligation quote today. For more of that information, check out our Instagram, Getting There with Gossi. You can find it on my guy, Connor Lind, over at Northeastern Insurance. Getting there with God. episode here of Getting There with God, where we talk to media members, coaches, athletes, business owners, and more about the journey to where they've arrived in their career. Joining us now, Billy Gura. He's got an interesting story, whether it's music, sports, the combination of all that and more. I cannot wait to dive into this. It has been too long since you and I caught up. But first, let's start at the beginning. Six, seven, eight years old, a young Billy Gura. What do you want to be as a kid? And it was that same dream job, the same job you wanted when you were 18 years old. <laughs> well, first of all, appreciate you having me on, man. It's good to finally connect. It's been it's been a while. We we're talking before, like what eight years since yeah Syracuse. But uh, yeah, to play off your question, man, when I was a little kid, I always my first my first love was the NBA. So like I I grew up a basketball fan. That was always I love Kansas Jayhawks. So I was like I want I want to be an NBA player. Um, then I got to a certain age to realize I. Uh, wasn't going to be six, four. And I was white, couldn't jump and <laughs> decided, you know what? I think baseball is a better route. So, uh, I, uh, I wanted to maybe play professional baseball. Um, and yeah, that was always my dream. Uh, now I'm actually doing all of that with sports media. Uh, didn't make it to the league, but I am, uh, doing what I love in media and, uh, it's been, it's been an awesome journey. So. Yeah, look, you're underplaying the baseball skills, though, man. You were a stud. You could play. You were recruited to play in college. Take us through that when you're in high school and you start realizing, okay, not not only am I good at this, I'm good enough to play at the next level. And what was that experience like getting recruited to play at the next level? I ask a lot of former athletes, is it stress? Is it excitement? Is it nervous? Take us through the recruiting process where you're actually able to become an NCAA athlete. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, probably around like my sophomore year was when I was like really like, you know what, I, I think I have a future in this. Um, the, the weird thing was I was a middle infielder before I pitched. So it was like I was getting recruited to play like second base. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the whole recruiting trail is wild. Like you got you got schools hitting you up you know, maybe doing some illegal shit on the side, but, uh, 
<laughs> that's a story for another uh, another episode. Um, but no, so I got recruited by um, a few small D ones uh, like Youngstown State. Was actually committed to go to YSU, um, and then they had a coaching change, so I got thrown back in the portal. Um, and then I ended up committing to Walsh University, which is a uh, small D two school down in Canton. Um, but very fortunate to go there. Met some awesome people. Uh, got to stick around coach two years after, which was great. Get my degree while I was still uh, on the bench with coach being around the guys. And as you know, I played uh, summer ball out in Syracuse. That's how we kind of linked up and uh, met the whole squad out there. Yeah, it's amazing to think about all those connections you make through the college baseball world, whether it's pitching and playing and going to all these different cities and everything else. And that's interesting you brought up coaching there because – I want to get back to that in a second, but when you're at Walsh and you're an athlete and you're trying to balance this thing between being a college athlete and also trying to be a student and also trying to figure out your future, were you able to get experience in what you wanted to do for your future? Were you still trying to figure out exactly if it was going to be media, if it was going to be broadcasting? What type of, if at all, experiences did you get at Walsh that you are happy you had when you pursued your next step in your professional career? Yeah, you know, that's a great question because I um, actually saw a post the other day. So it was talking about like college athletes, their mindset and everything coming out of college. And it's like, you know, you grow up doing sports every single day. That's all you know. Um, and then you get to college, you pick your career. I was in business management. So I was like, it was more or less like, you know what? I got to choose a, a major and kind of roll with it. Hoping like, because my end goal was, you know, play majors um, in the major leagues. So like. It is kind of weird, but going along with that, I was having a conversation with my girlfriend the other day, and I think amongst a lot of athletes, I feel like that's something they go through, too. It's like once it's over, I mean, that's why I stuck around and coach because I didn't want to get away from the field anymore. It's like I love being around. It's like, what's next, you know? And uh, I think for me, that was like a two-year period. It's like, all right, let me try to figure my shit out and uh, what we're going to do. So, um I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. But uh, I mean, really, it took me a good five, six years after that to be like, hey, this this media thing is what I want to do. Um, there was a few levels to it, got into, which we'll get into. But uh, I stumbled upon music um, and that really kind of like jump started my career and my vision and direction of where I wanted to go. I love that answer you said about coaching, though, about how you wanted to stay on the field, because you'd be surprised, I think, if you went back and listened to some former episodes with people who are also college athletes, where, yes, coaching's there, and you're working with maybe some of your former teammates and the coaching staff that you knew and maybe even recruited you. But what happens a lot of times is, for whatever reason, it's probably just the competitive nature. When you're a coach, and you're especially a young coach, somewhere in the back of your mind, you think they're going to need you, and they're going to call you and let you play. Like, I'm ready if you need me. I know it's four years, but I'm ready for, a, you know, that's almost the part that hurts the athletes so much that they're around the game so much. They know they're in good enough shape. It can still play and everything else that it's almost that competitive nature that keeps you around. Not so much about the players and teammates. And that's all great. But, you know, you can still do it and don't want to give it up. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And it's uh, another thing, too, with the coach, because it's like you've been through those four years, especially like your first two freshman, sophomore like you're running around with your head head cut off, you know, if you're not really clicking with like the older kids. But I mean, that's a good thing, too, because like I know what those kids go through, some of those emotions. And sometimes it's it's overwhelming and uh, being there to kind of be able to relate, especially as I graduate or I was only a few years older than them. So 
not being older so they could relate more to me and it's like you know we have that kind of connection which is cool yeah you touched on your music opportunity and where it came but i think it's i think we have to almost offer this perspective because you and i are basically the same age that the world of music in our lifetime, I think, has changed more than any other lifetime ever. We're talking about people in their late 20s, early 30s, where when our parents were growing up, you went and bought a CD. But you and I lived through Napster, Livewire, <laughs> where like music is all over the place. And then we went right. through the second boom of like YouTube and all these other artists finding these new platforms. Yep. Do you feel like you almost benefited from the era in which you grew up because of the changes that were happening in the music world? Oh, absolutely. We're um, so I'm I'm really close with uh, the founders of Live Mixtapes. If you remember that, app. yes, yeah. So they're actually based in Cleveland, but uh, so they're they're exactly what you're saying. So we grew up on them. Now they're trying to pivot to like where the market is now. So yeah, dude, it's crazy. I mean, you're you know, in media, everything's digital now. It's like, I mean, shit, our money's digital. Crazy. <laughs> you got you got cryptocurrency. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, it's now you have these platforms that are just trying to get users, um, just everyone to their platform. It's just it's it's craziness right now. But hey, I'm here for it. I mean, I, I love CDs and all that. But uh, I mean, if we don't have to pay for that, we can get it for free. That's cool. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk, talk about the first time you actually find this opening, that foot in the door job. Is it? a behind the scenes role? Is it in front of the camera? Is it an artist or a performer that you knew? Take us that first entry level where you think, okay, this is what I'm doing and I'm starting to find the vibe that I, I think I like this. Yeah, so great question. Um, so actually I stumbled upon it. So I was in between jobs. I was in uh, restaurant sales and I got laid off from the job. And in between I took a, uh, I was working for my buddies at FedEx. I was uh, managing some routes. I actually got in a, a really bad accident that uh, like almost took my life, and I was out like six months. Uh, the truck crashed. Whoa, whoa, yeah. Let's let's sit there. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think that like that part cannot be left off. Let's sit yeah. on that for a second. What the hell happened? I don't even. Now I feel awful. I didn't know about this as somebody who's known you for a while. Yeah, so I kind of kept it under the rug for a while because there was a lot of legal stuff going on. Um, but yeah, moral of the story. I was I was driving going down a hill, and the back axle of the truck snapped. Then ended up rolling up over top of me, and yeah, I got <laughs> I got rushed oh to the hospital. God. Like it was it was crazy, um, but uh, yeah. So that's basically how. So I was I was out for six months and ran into someone I used to go to uh, high school with, and he was in music, and I was always interested. Like, hey, like, what does this entail? Like, what's like a manager do? Because I was just trying to get into the industry. You know, I love music, uh, love media. So I, I hung around. I was like, hey, what can I do for you? Um, so went around here and kind of didn't pop off with the first artist. It was more of like a learning experience, uh, meeting people. I networked with the right people. Uh, met met Pesh from Live Mixtapes. Um, and we just established an awesome relationship. He hit me up like two months after I got done uh managing this other artist and he was like hey i got this kid who's 19 years old needs some direction i'm a little older i can't i don't i can't be running around doing all this i got other stuff i'm like i listen to his music i'm like yeah let me meet him <laughs> so, <laughs> this is uh this is my artist owen river um and we met it was like in 2019 the summer of it he came over to my apartment and showed me this song with uh what we were talking about this 
French producer, Vladimir Kuchmar, shows me the song and he's like, he's like, yeah, I don't know how big it's going to be. I listen to him, I'm like, bro, like, this thing's going to pop off. <laughs> and uh, ever, ever since then, like, I mean, the song did pop off, but that was like our first, um, that was my first encounter at Owen. And we kind of just took it from there, just built a relationship. I've been learning the ropes from Pesh at live mixtapes, uh, kind of how to maneuver within the industry. And yeah, it's just been, uh, it's been going. And just to clarify that pop off term, like you guys blew up in France in particular. We're talking yeah. about like millions <laughs> of streams and downloads from that. Yeah. We're so the song it's called shining. Uh, if you look it up on Spotify, but, uh, yeah, this producer reached out to him and he, he found him on Instagram somehow. He's like, dude, you got, he's talking to his little French voice. He's like, bro, you, you, you got great music. Like I want to work with you. <laughs> and so he just sent him like some songs and he made a beat behind it. And, uh, yeah, so the song got as high as number three in all of France, dude. Wow. Absolutely insane. It's still going. Um, it's a, yeah, it's just at about 8 million, uh, streams on Spotify. And, uh, we have another single coming out in September on Vladimir's album as well. So I'm sure even though you're still fairly young into this and I'm talking about like managing an artist and you're working in blunt in particular, what have you learned? The, the goods and bads of managing a performer, an artist, a creator, there's things you said, okay, early on I did this, I shouldn't have done that. Or I feel like I'm doing this well and other people who want to follow this can continue to do this. Yeah. So my biggest advice would be like, just be relatable to the artist. So like, it's more than just streams and you know, Instagram marketing, like for me, like Owen, he's been off probably five or six months just trying to get his head right. Um, I mean, these guys are just like us, normal, normal people. They go through shit. Um, and for, for me, the biggest thing is just being there for him. I, it took us a good year probably just to get that relationship, see what makes him tick uh, and just like establish that brotherhood. And I think for us, like that's, that's something that a lot of teams don't have. Um, and you know, it's, it's not always about the money. It's about sticking together. It's a long-term thing. It's not like there, there's so many artists, so much music out there that it's not going to pop off within a second. Like now it's, it takes years to get it done. So putting in the work and um, having that relationship, sticking to your team, it's just like sports, you know, I mean, you move, you move as a unit and, uh, you could keep that cohesiveness, like you're going to go far. So, I mean, that would be my biggest advice. Just, you know, speaking to your artists at a human level, knowing, and just, uh, you, you got to deal with a lot more than just music. So. Yes. And that's why I'm so excited that you're doing the music side of it because so many athletes jump to the broadcasting sports side, or maybe they go to the business side. And the fact that you jump to music, there's your advantage right there that you as a former athlete understand the competition yeah. And you understand all it takes is one time on the field or one performance or one pitch or those things that sports seem so cliche that we all know. Maybe a performer who wasn't a great athlete growing up doesn't put that two and two together. And then you do and you have that perspective, which is so exciting for your future and everything that's going to happen when it comes to the music business. And I wonder if those competitive juices come out for you or even your artist or Owen or anybody else when you go into a studio. Is a studio like the field? When you oh, go yeah. into the studio, like, well, take us through it. Like, what is it like when you step into the studio with someone performing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that competitive, that that edge will never go away. And I think that's that's why you see like a lot of former or like employers that are like, hey, I want to go after athletes. Because, um, I mean, you don't lose that edge. And I think that's something that 
athletes have of, as an advantage over a lot of people. Um, but yeah, as far as music, uh, walk, when we go to the studio, just depends. Like we'll be in there literally listen to beats for hours. And uh, f- for Owen, it's like, he's got to find a particular sound that is like, Hey, like, oh, okay, I, I, I could, I could ride with this. Um, so we'll pick a beat and then he'll sit there for, you know, as long as, it, as long as it takes him to get that, the, you know, the writing down, he'll sit there and write maybe for two hours or it could be 15 minutes. It's just, it's more of like a feel base, um, how he's feeling in the moment. Cause he's an artist that just doesn't write bullshit. Um, it's more just, it comes from the heart, however he's feeling, that's how it is. And I think that's what the, like a lot of, a lot of artists and you'll see like they'll, they'll have these writer's blocks because they don't have anything to, to write about, you know, and that's real. So that yeah the field base you're talking about right there it can be intimidating because you want to work with your artist and you don't want to budge too much be like no this is your beat this is your beat you have to respect their craft and their art and what they're doing and usually i just want to clarify because some people might get confused by this there's an engineer in the room with you guys or a producer or a big you know like you're not the one physically making the beats correct or are you has billy kerr gone to the beat section yeah, i wish man I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I, i'll be in there jamming but yeah so we have so you have the producer who makes the beat uh, you have the artist who either yeah does the writing, all that. And then the engineer is the one who is does all the computer work. Does, he sits there and records, mix and masters the track and everything. So usually, yeah, there's like three different uh, sides to it. Yeah. So not only are you doing this, you're managing your artist, you're learning about the studio work, all the things that go on behind the scenes. You weave your way into now a digital marketing strategist opportunity and now a job at iHeartMedia in Cleveland. For those who don't know what a day-to-day like is like for that type of position, take us through it. What is a digital marketing strategist like in Cleveland, Ohio, working for iHeartMedia? <laughs> yeah, so honestly, I tried getting into iHeart for like a year and a half. Um, just when I started getting into the music, I was like, you know what, I need I need to learn this whole marketing thing. I was like, I want to, I want to find a company that I can get my foot in the door um, and just really dive in and learn. And iHeart, they, I always saw them around here, and I was like, you know what, this is it. And I, I would send emails and my resume to the guy that who eventually hired me. Um, but uh, finally, I got an opportunity in November, the end of November, after uh, you know the quarantine and everything. So very fortunate to get that position. So I've been here less than six months. Um, but basically, yeah, we work with the, your local brands all the way up to the big national brands. Um, for me, we go after anyone and it's really just finding that need for what they, what they want, what kind of audience they want to target. And uh, we have the biggest audio platform in, in the world. So it's uh you you know right now we're in we're in the middle of an audio renaissance it's crazy podcasts are going off streaming radio it's back and people are filling their their days with they they need noise and that's why you see uh a lot of like these headphone companies they're going off like people i, I bet you you probably own three to four <laughs> pairs of headphones that's like, right take them everywhere so i mean as as good as video does for like advertisers right now is the hottest time uh, for advertisers in audio because it is just exploding with content. Yes, and you said some interesting things there. First about the the situation going on iHeartMedia. There's one show in particular that's going to launch here in the summer that I want to get to in a second. 
that's some huge news, I know, especially for you guys. But even how you phrase that is so different than maybe digital marketing strategists. It would have been called an account executive 10 years ago or 15 yep. years ago, it would have been called somebody who's working in sales. Yep. And even you didn't say you're selling radio. You said you're selling audio yep. and noise and music and talk. It, you can see it probably right now in your day-to-day where it's not the old school, for lack of a better phrase, old school way of selling radio. You are truly selling content and in different ways because whether it's podcasts or anything else, you've almost opened up your platform that somebody who's trying to market, now you've got all these opportunities and lanes for you to present to potential customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nuts because you'll see... I mean, you see, we just signed Clay Travis and uh, Buck. They're going to be doing that. We'll hit yeah, on Yeah, that. that's the big show. That, 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 there it is. I'll lead right into it right there. What yeah. does that mean for you guys to get Clay Travis and Buck? Yeah, so, I mean, you see where the direction is of iHeart. So, like, I mean, RIP Rush Limbaugh, he he had a, a show that was massive, that 12 to 3. Um, they still were playing his replays after his death. That's, how, like, that's how popular he was. But you see the shift that where we're going, it's more – um not not like not as older uh you know clay's more fresh new uh new content uh, you know he's very conservative so it's gonna fit right in uh in that 12 to 3 uh rush limbaugh slate but um yeah i mean that's we have creators coming to iheart every day i mean our podcasts are just exploding we have over 550 but we have different areas of content and that's what makes us the number one podcaster and people see that um, and we're able to give these advertisers a lane that no one else has, you know, and it's like, it's relatable content. They're buying into where their audience is. I mean, sure. You know, like you got your sports listeners, people are coming here, like advertisers that want to attract that, that certain individual, they know where to go now. And as podcasts, I mean, we search out to listen to a podcast. Those are dedicated listeners, diehard listeners. And, it's just a different way to look at things now. As a former radio guy who worked for a company that didn't prioritize podcasts and then flipped over, and I just kept hearing people were like, no, you can't sell a podcast. Podcasts don't make any money. And then it took me literally like a month, and I'm like, why didn't you guys just do this? Why aren't you doing that? And then I looked at my podcast. I'm like, no, like you guys are wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. You can make money off podcasts. You can figure out a way to advertise. It may not be the past of how you used to break down things, but it's definitely an outlet and definitely can have things happen. And you're seeing it right now from your consumers and customers and everything else out there at iHeart that people want to be a part of this. And it's exciting for the future. Now, with all that being said, the great opportunities, the great shows, the content creators and everything else, your job is still not easy. Like yeah. trying to find post-COVID-19 businesses that have expendable income, they want to get their name out there. You are still on a grind, though. Every single day, I'm sure it is working the phones and meeting with people and doing businesses you have an advantage because you've worked in the music side, but take us through that. If people want to continue this pursuit, this is not an easy job in any way. Yeah. You know, what makes it fun? It is. It's a lot of, it's a lot of work reaching out to clients, uh, different contexts. But for me, like I only go after, I only try to talk to, uh, like companies I like, you know, cause if I'm going to spend my time, it's, I like sports, I like media. And I try to stay in that lane cause I know how to talk in that lane too. And for me, it's not just selling, it's how can I make this brand what they want to become, you know? And that's where the passion comes in. And that's where like these CEO, these marketing, uh, these chief marketers are like, you know what? Yeah, let, let's roll with it. Cause they see the passion in me. It's like, I'm, I'm not just trying to take your money. It's like, how do we blow this thing up? You know, 
And I think that's uh, that's a difference. It's not it's not as salesy. It's more of like, you know, what, we're a team. Let's work together. How can we do this? And now you've got two advantages. Now you're learning about the inside of the marketing, how a certain advertiser or sponsor does well with their money. It also on your other side of your career, you can work with your artists and see the advantages and everything that happens. And it leads to another thing you've kind of excelled at over the last few months and years of social media. You yeah. mentioned this early on in the interview that Instagram was the way in which Owen River was found. How important has social media's boom had both on your artist career and also <laughs> digital marketing? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you see, uh, you see the uh, emergence of TikTok now. It's like, it's like almost every six months, there's like another platform that pops up and it's like, oh shit, I got to run there now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like trying to juggle, um, juggle all these platforms. And it's like, you need different content if you're on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok. So really, I think for like brands and even music, it's like, how, how can I be relevant and how can I appeal to my audience on each platform? And I think for a lot of people, it's it's tedious and they'll spend their their time on just Instagram or and forget about the other ones like and, you know, with TikTok now, it's like you, you have organic reach. So, I mean, that's a platform that especially for music artists, if you're not on there, like you're doing something wrong. <laughs> now, usually at the end here, I close with the best advice to get where Billy Gurra is. But you're unique in the sense that you're on the grind right now, like it's happening. Owen's on the up and coming. Your digital sales are on the up and coming. So I, I kind of want to go away from the advice question and instead ask a question about your goals, you individually, your goals for the future. Like if we talk a year from now or we talk three years from now or five years from now, I'll just do three years. I'll go right in the middle. Billy Girl, where are you hoping to be three years from now? Definitely L.A. So uh, LA? Okay. Yeah. L.A. or uh, Atlanta, one of those. I mean, those are the big... Uh, I, I think Owen's more of a LA vibe. Um, just so for music, like you want to be around a lot of creators. And I think that's why a lot of people move out West or go to Atlanta because you're in front of record labels and more creators and just gives you a better opportunity than here. Cause like you only get a handful of producers you can work with. Um, there's only a handful of people that can go in the studio. You go out to LA and it's like, Oh, I can go here, here and here today. Like, and then you just get a whole different perspective of where everything's going. So for me, I would say, yeah, in three years, definitely with uh, in the music and iHeart and just killing it. But definitely out west, I see myself. I love it, man. And by the way, I know you dabbled quickly, but just like a quick little stint in the podcast world. If we got to recruit you back to join Godzilla Media, whether it's you or Owen, or you're telling stories of Walsh and the Solicats, everything else, don't forget, man, you want to dive in. You see all these other content creators and you're selling them. You feel like you want to grab the mic, man. You're going to have a home here at Godzilla Media. So there's my official recruiting pitch to you, part one of it. I have the jersey in the locker like the old days in Walsh. I love it. I actually uh, I had a little podcast uh, stint last year. It was like a 10 episode episode stint and then I got the boot but uh no, <laughs> no it was good I was fill, I was filling in with one of my buddies here he runs a podcast called the optimal life um and we tried a little spin to that uh getting a little fresher uh younger uh views on stuff so it was cool man it was I, I respect what you guys do it's it's a lot of work and I mean you know you, you're on all these platforms so it's same as music so yeah, dude, it, it absolutely is. And you're one of now, I believe, two former Syracuse Salt Cats who have joined. Alicia D'Addario joined before she talked about her experience at ESPN and, nice. and the Utica Comets. So I've teased it before. I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do it. 
Hopefully, we'll have the Salt Cat reunion at some point in the summer with the world changing and everything else. And yeah. Hopefully, it's more likely than less likely now. So I'm so glad we were able to catch up after yeah. all these years. Billy Gura, I'm thrilled about your success that's coming in the future, man. Let's stay in touch for the future. Give our best to Owen. And you know what? Shout out the social media handles before we go so everyone can follow Owen's stuff and your stuff as well for the future. Yeah, so I am at Billy Gura on Instagram and also uh, Twitter. And then Owen uh, is at at Owen.River on Instagram and Twitter. Love it, man. Keep up the great work. and We'll be talking again soon. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, brother.